0: Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And today we're blessed to be able to offer our worship unto God as we have sung praises to His name and offered prayer unto Him. For the next few moments, may I invite you to enter into a consideration of a section of the Word of God so that you and I can be encouraged by those timeless and eternal words that are there for our benefit. You may have noticed in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, arguably one of the most well-known sections of that chapter. And yet in it, we'll find the text patterning the lesson I've entitled, Surprises at the Judgment. You'll notice on the wall behind me that particular title with those verses and these thoughts which will get us going this morning. Isn't it interesting to contemplate surprises There are times when surprises are wonderful. Maybe a friend or a family member throws you a surprise party. You don't know anything about it, and yet, as that event arrives, you're so thankful that those individuals thought highly enough of you that they, in fact, threw you this party. But there are other occasions in life when sometimes surprises can be frustrating. Maybe you go out to your car in the morning, making ready to go to work, and suddenly it won't start. Now, it started fine the last night, but that kind of surprise isn't a very pleasant one. Sometimes surprises can really be dangerous. Have you ever been walking in a place and maybe there's a snake over there, and maybe it's poisonous? Thankfully, the snake knew you were there before you knew it did, but the point is... Sometimes we like surprises and many times we don't. This chapter before us in the Word of God this morning asks us to contemplate there are going to be some surprises at the Day of Judgment. Rest assured, there will be. We know that because the Bible says so. I hope that as we study this lesson today, we're going to conclude it in a few minutes when we remind ourselves we don't want to be surprised. We want to know exactly what's going to take place, and we need to be ready for it. But I'd like to develop the lesson by at least looking at a few categories of individuals who are going to be surprised. As sad as this sounds, as motivating as it can be, I hope you and I will use it in the way that the Word of God presents it. The first consideration is this one. First, I'd like for us to at least embed in our heart the certainty, the reality, the absolute assurance of this thing called the judgment. Would you be impressed that when Jesus and the other inspired individuals spoke about this, they did not in any way couch it in language that was uncertain. For instance, in Matthew chapters 10, 11, and 12, a trio of chapters, and yet as Jesus spoke on those occasions, He very strongly made these assertions. Chapter number 10, He sent some, He sent His particular apostles on what we would call a limited commission. And as He did so, He said, Those that will not accept your message, they'll have to give an answer at the day of judgment. Now may I ask on that occasion, was it certain in regard to the individual's Well, sure it was. Jesus said, there's going to be some people who won't accept your message. There are going to be some individuals who in fact will reject it overwhelmingly. And yet the Lord said, shake the dust off your feet, go to another city. For those that rejected you, they're going to have to give answers the day of judgment. Everything in that scenario is real. The people are real, the cities are real, the message is real. Shouldn't we conclude the day of judgment is real? Look at the next chapter, chapter 11. On this occasion, a very similar sounding scenario. Could I draw to your attention several definitive matters are stated. Let me paraphrase some of them. Woe unto you, Chorazin Bethsaida! It will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than it is for you. Now one more time, may I ask, was Chorazin and Bethsaida real cities? Sure they were. Was Tyre and Sidon real places? Sure they were. Shouldn't we conclude the day of judgment's real? And the Lord was warning those individuals, make certain you realize there is coming a day of judgment. That wasn't the only time that that kind of consideration reigned supreme. Look at those other cities that Jesus also mentioned. Remember, the Lord was laboring in the area of Capernaum, and notice He strongly urged Capernaum, it'll be more tolerable for Nineveh in the day of judgment than it is for you. Now you and I know that Nineveh was real, Capernaum was real, and the record of the book of Jonah was real. And God, through Jesus, was reminding them, There is a day of judgment coming. It's going to be better for them than for you. Now every time you and I ever use language like that, we are referring to something that really is going to happen. Let's add to that one more. Jesus would say in regard to Sodom and Gomorrah, those cities lifted so highly for their wickedness in the Old Testament, Jesus said it will be more tolerable for them than it is for you. I would use all of that to remind all of us that although our world so frequently lives as though there's never going to be a day of judgment, we get up each day, we so often proceed through the activities of the day, those activities surrounding our jobs, our families, perhaps otherwise, may we never lose sight as those who love the Word of God that there is going to be a day of judgment as if those passages weren't enough, look at what Paul had to say about it. In Acts 17, verses 30 and 31, I'd like to paint a bit of a picture, a portrait for you very, very briefly. The city of Athens was a very notable city, known for its idolatry. There were a number of pagan temples, places of worship erected in that place. Mars Hill is where Paul was preaching in Acts 17 you could see that great temple basically in the distance behind him. It might have been easy for Paul to, in fact, be somewhat cowardly because after all, that great temple was in the distance and he was surrounded by a lot of people who didn't like his message. But that didn't deter Paul. Beginning in verse 25, Paul overwhelmingly said, "...the the statue, this image that you have erected to the unknown God, I want to talk to you about Him. For the one that you call the unknown God, that is the one closest to this God of heaven, and you need to know about Him. He isn't worshiped with men's hands as though He needed anything. He's powerful, He's mighty. And Paul boldly said this, I'm telling you, There's coming a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And Paul urged those people to repent. You can't live like this and please him. Now the strength and the boldness of that presentation remind us Paul was convicted. There's coming a day of judgment. And he wanted those individuals to be ready for it. Let's look at what else you and I might know. Having seen in the language of Jesus and in the language of Paul the certainty of this day of judgment. May you and I never forget Jesus will be the judge. The very one who lived in perfection. The very one who died that terrible day. The very one who rose the third day. The very one who is master and lord over his church. He's the one that will be the judge. You and I will never be able to successfully say, but Jesus, you don't know how I was tempted. I wasn't able to overcome it. Hebrews 4.15 says, He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He'll simply look and say, I was in your shoes. I've been there. I know what it was like. And there was a way of escape, and you didn't look for it hard enough. Maybe the point is, as you and I appreciate on the day of judgment, it will not be some arbitrary third-person objective character who will be our judge. It's the Son of God, the one who lived on this planet. And the standard that He's going to use is the gospel. We already know what that standard is. Didn't Paul say that in Romans 2.16? Every person will be judged according to the gospel. That, of course, respective of each of us that live in this present age. I suppose with all of that said, let's conclude this slide with a few brief points. Every one of us will be there. Every human being who has ever lived will appear in that judgment. No exemptions, no exceptions. That reminds us this is a universal thing. Hebrews 9.27 says, "...and as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment." The character of that judgment then perhaps ends like this. It is going to be a wonderful reality for some, but a fiery one for others. In 2 Peter 3.7 we're told that just as surely as those flood waters of Noah's day came... And they inundated this world and destroyed it by water. There's also coming a time when this fiery reality will be present and this earth will be destroyed by fire. But Jesus is coming in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that don't know Him. There is a day of judgment coming. You and I that in wisdom should remember that reality and live in accordance to it. What about some surprises? I'd like you now for the next few moments, picture the scene at the Day of Judgment. The marvelous reality of that time comes. Jesus in all His splendor is now administering the verdict of judgment to every human being who has ever lived. Billions and billions and billions of people. Some people are going to be surprised at what they hear. They're going to really be shocked at the verdict that they're given. Who will some of these people be? The Bible does tell us. The next slide, let's begin our discussion like this. First of all, there will be some who have rejected the Bible. And yet they're going to appear, of course, on that day of judgment. And oh, how surprised they're going to be. I've basically entitled this little section, Unbelievers. Unbelievers. You and I know well that there are individuals who are rather aggressively unbelievers. They not only don't believe the Bible themselves, but they will insult publicly those who do, and they will even attempt to dissuade you and me from our belief in the Word of God. You and I know there are public lecturers around our world, sometimes college professors among them and they will insult students, and they will in fact insist, Don't you know that the Bible isn't true? I can prove it to you. And this student who has been brought up by his or her parents to have confidence and conviction in the Word of God, and now this learned person is suddenly telling them that Bible is not true. May I say that I suspect Many such individuals may be well confident of their position. One second after death, their viewpoint will be different. The very thing they never believed in life, they're going to know that it was true the moment they crossed the threshold of death. But it'll be too late to do a thing about it. They're going to be surprised at that moment. They lived a life, you see, convicted that the Bible wasn't true, convicted there is no God perhaps, convicted that Jesus is not the Son of God, and yet shortly beyond the veil of death, they shall then know that all that they never thought was true really is. Look at some of these verses. In Philippians 2, beginning in verse number 5, "...let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus..." of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'll pause at the end of verse 11. Did you notice? That leads me to say this. At least technically speaking, there shall be no atheists at the day of judgment. Why Because those who lived in this life confident there was no God, one moment beyond death, they'll know they were wrong. And they're going to confess the grandeur of the Lord Jesus Christ before they're cast into hell. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Wouldn't it be far better to do it now than to be forced almost to do it then? You'll notice one more thing. In addition to the atheist and the unbeliever who are going to be surprised that day, may I suggest the materialist is going to be surprised. By the materialist, I mean that there are those who literally think that there is no such thing as a soul, that human beings do not have an immortal spirit. We merely are flesh and blood and bones, and when we die, it's all over. Those people are going to be surprised too they're going to discover that they really were immortal spirits and that they are standing before God in judgment and that that spirit shall never cease to be. They're going to be a bit surprised. Look at some of these verses. In Matthew 12 verse 28 for example, Jesus on that appreciation in the very midst of these chapters we were referring to earlier pointed out and rather strongly asserted that those individuals of that day were going to, of course, appear in the judgment and that it would be more tolerable for some than for others. But isn't it interesting that Jesus said, you are going to survive the matters of this death and you're going to appear at judgment. Maybe one last thing. Those people who rely upon what is good, and I've put in quotation marks, There are many in our world who simply think, as long as I'm basically good, I'll be all right. Now notice, I put that good again in quotation marks, and maybe you and I know many people who would be quick to say, I don't murder, I don't steal, I don't take anybody else's husband or wife, I'm always honest and upright, I try to do what's good. They think that's enough to be saved. If it were, why did Jesus ever come? If that's enough to go to heaven, why did the Lord, in fact, go to the cross? I could live a good or moral life if He never had, if that's your definition. Point is, those people are going to be surprised. That's not enough to get to heaven. That's not enough to be judged righteous. That opening category listed some who are going to be surprised. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Point number two. There are a lot of religious people who are going to be surprised. Now notice that first category, those people really weren't even religious at all in most instances. But may I suggest there will be a lot of individuals on the day of judgment who themselves were religious in this life, but they're going to be surprised too. Look at the opening example. Almost uncountable, it seems, are the number of individuals who think that, as long as I believe, that's enough. Individuals like Billy Graham preach that for a lifetime. All you got to do, we're told, is just believe. And they'll often quote verses like John 3.16, as well as others. Those people are going to be very surprised at the Day of Judgment. Belief alone just isn't enough. If it were, even the devil would be saved. Because James 2.19 says, The devil and his demons tremble because they believe, but they're not saved. Belief alone never has been enough to save. May I say, may you and I never fall in the trap then of being surprised like those are going to be. But in addition to those of that consideration, look at the next example. There will be many, and this takes us back to our lesson text. Would you listen again to the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 21? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let's stop right there. Here, reference is made to a group of people who called Him Lord. They didn't call Buddha Lord, or Confucius, or anybody else. They called Jesus the Christ Lord. They had enough knowledge, enough appreciation, and enough consideration to refer to Him as Lord. Let's see how it ended. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils? and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Among this group, here were individuals who not only called him Lord, they actually had acted in their estimation on his behalf. We've cast out devils in your name. We've done many wonderful works, not in our name, but in your name, Jesus. And not only that, we preached in your name. We tried to win souls to you. Sounds like they had done quite a bit. They were religious to be sure. But you'll notice they weren't saved. There's going to be a lot of people surprised like that. Jesus here highlighted, didn't He? He's in response going to say, I never knew you. They thought they knew Him. They were sure of it. But He never knew them. Talk about being surprised. Let's look at the next one. Many who, in fact, are zealous and enthusiastic and energetic are going to be surprised. In Romans 10, verses 1 to 3, on that occasion, Paul points this interesting truth out in ways like this. He points out very powerfully, very strongly. I'd like to ask you to notice the way he presented it. This was in reference to the Jews, admittedly, but oh, how great it is to apply it to us. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. There will be individuals, again, zealous. They have engaged in many things in the name of Christianity, in the name even of Christ. And yet, perhaps they were under the illusion that zeal alone would count for something. That it would be enough. But notice misdirected zeal. Zeal without knowledge is not approved by God. There are going to be some surprises. Look at the next one with me, please. There will be those who have relied on innovations. That is to say, they were a bit unsatisfied with the way God said to do things. I want my worship done this way. And men have responded, I don't really like that. I think I'll add a piano. I think I'll add an orchestra. I think I'll add a number of other things. Why don't we just take this Lord's Supper once a month instead of once a week? After all, it's a lot of work. Paul wrote in Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks the God and the Father by Him. Those who have taken the liberty to innovate will find a surprise to be sure that day. One by one, as we have stepped into the consideration of the judgment and found that many are going to be surprised, let's close this slide with two more. And let me do the last one next. I realize all of us treasure very sweetly the Bible doctrine of baptism. And yet the human family has corrupted that doctrine and so often have taught what the Bible does not say about it or fail to teach what the Bible does say about it. There's going to be a lot of people on the day of judgment surprised when the sentiment of Mark 16, 16 is the truth. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now you can believe any pastor you want to that baptism's not essential. You can believe anybody you want to, but it doesn't change what the Lord Jesus said. And on that day, if you wasn't baptized scripturally, you're going to be lost. And a lot of people are going to be surprised at that. The truth of the Bible doesn't change in regard to what humans may think. And for that reason, what about the support of evil? perhaps a lot of people are going to be surprised when they'll say, I never had an abortion, but I voted for the people that do condone it. And in fact, I never opposed it. In fact, my viewpoint was, well, if that's the way they think, that's fine. It's just I don't want to ever be engaged in it that way. That isn't the way the Lord looks at it. If I lend my support to what's evil, I'm guilty of it too. And although I may never have an abortion, if I vote for those that do approve it, and if I endorse those who do support it, then I'm supporting it too. Look at, Matthew, Rick, look at Romans 1 verse 32 with me. This is one of the greatest dangers, by the way, at least in our modern day, about some of these more pressing movements. I know that each of us have heard it with the ongoing character of homosexual marriage and other things. There are many in our world who say, I don't live that way. But if that's their choice, that's fine for them. As Christians, we mustn't feel this way. Although we too may not do it, we can't approve it in the lives of others. Romans one thirty-two says, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now in that list, in those verses just prior to that, there were various things like homosexuality and murders and disobedience to parents and other matters. And Paul says, not only mustn't we do them, we cannot condone those who do. Therefore, you and I as Christians, not only do we not engage in those things, but we can't lend our support to those who do. Meaning, we have to appreciate there's going to be some surprises at the Day of Judgment. It is at this point we come to category number three. Now so far, we have progressively moved from those who you notice were not religious. Category two are those who are. Category 3 is going to hit home. What about the Church of Christ? Let's now focus on ourselves. May I submit to you that there's going to be some surprises on the Day of Judgment, even for members of the Church of Christ. Let's see what the Bible has to say and how this, in fact, is the case. First of all, maybe you have known about, maybe even considered... This word affiliation, such and such individual was affiliated with the Church of Christ. May I say to you, that is not going to be sufficient. Maybe you have read of individuals who make that statement, make that claim if you please. In fact, I'd like to go ahead and proceed to a slide and ask you to consider it. It's not at all unusual to open the pages of the newspaper to the obituary section and read something like this. Such and such person, age so-and-so, died Tuesday, August 28, 2018. That's the day after tomorrow, by the way. At Cookfield Regional Medical Center, this individual was a resident of Putnam County, was affiliated with the Church of Christ. And then the person survivors, other things are listed. What does it mean to be affiliated with the church of Christ? You're either a member of it or you're not. You're either faithful to it or you're not. The Bible nowhere uses this relationship of affiliation. In fact, didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter number 12, He that is not with me, is against me." Now we can't change that assertion by Jesus. We've got to be faithful members of the church. Being affiliated with it is not good enough. That will not be enough to warrant our entrance into the golden clime of heaven. As you ponder that, I might say not a one of us knows what's going to happen Tuesday. If that's your obituary or mine, What do you think? Now, once you and I are gone, whoever's left behind on earth reading that, it's not going to make a lot of difference. But once you and I are gone, we're then going to be in a place. What will we be experiencing? Will we be ready for the judgment or not? Let's go back and look at that other slide again. Those who have engaged in the activities of the church without spirit... They've merely gone through a habitual set of motions. That's not going to be good enough either. Perhaps many will be surprised in that regard. I was there every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and even every Wednesday night. I went. Jesus might say, did you go out of habit or did you go because you loved me? Did you go merely going through the motions or did you go because you really wanted to? Jesus said in John 4, God's the Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That word spirit means our fervor, our zeal, our enthusiasm, our energy, our excitement. And may you and I as Christians us thrill at the thought of what the Lord did for us. And may we look forward to the time when we can express our heartfelt worship and thanks to Him. But nextly, What about that person who, though he or she attended the church of Christ, they harbored a spirit of ill will and malice and hatred? Didn't Paul say in Ephesians 4:31, put away all malice? How much? All of it. With all hatred. And he said, in so being, verse 32 you're able then to show kindness and forgiveness one toward another. So if I, even though a member of the Church of Christ, if I harbor hatred and ill will in light of verses like that one, it's not going to go well at judgment and maybe I'll be surprised. But not only that, those who really aren't too serious about Christianity. Oh, I was baptized when I was 13 years old and I go every now and then. They really can't count on me being there. I'll show up basically when I want to. But are you a Christian? Oh, I sure am. I was baptized for the remission of my sins. I recall a message the Lord sent to the church at Laodicea. You're not cold and you're not hot. You're lukewarm and you make me sick. I'll spew you out of my mouth. You see, the Lord isn't going to look upon that with kindness. And isn't it true? If that's how I feel, I'm going to be surprised at the day of judgment. What about the next one? Those who aren't motivated with an attribute and consideration of love. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, the command is given love one another. And that's reiterated in the books of 1 and 2 John. Maybe it's fair to say then that There will be many surprises that day, even for those who considered themselves members of the Church of Christ. One last thing on that slide. What about those who never have any interest in telling anybody else about Jesus? I'm a member of the Church and I'm so thankful I was saved. And yet to proceed through life, never inviting anybody else to services never hopeful that maybe we'll have an opportunity to help them come to know what we know. You see, it may be a shocking thing on the day of judgment when we find Jesus really meant that. When He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. He really did mean that. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses the same. Commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also? 2 Timothy two. You see, in light of these things, what about those who don't consider it very important to restore the airing? Here is someone who's attended services, but yet suddenly they're no longer here and weeks months years pass no effort is made to find out what the issue is the problem to insist on their proper thinking in James 5 verses 19 and 20 we're told that those who seek to restore the sinner from the error of his way do hide a multitude of sins isn't that a beautiful thought Maybe the point is, there may be a lot of surprises on the Day of Judgment, not only for those that are merely worldly and not only for those that are religious, but even for those who considered themselves members of the church. Let's look at another one. That member of the church who doesn't respect the authority of the Bible. Are you a member of the church? I sure am. I was baptized for the remission of my sins. What do you think about this or that? Can the church worship in this way or that? Well, it seems to me that it wouldn't be anything wrong with it. Really? Worship must be conscripted according to, of course, the Word of God. And if, even if you or I in claiming to be a member of the church, if we compromise that, we're going to be surprised the day of judgment that the great God of heaven was serious about what He said. In the final analysis, the parable of the tares in Matthew 13 describes the judgment that the church is going to feel. And I said that carefully. That parable of the tares, and you may remember that there was on that occasion when an enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. Remember? And the servants recognized that there were tares among the wheat, and they asked the master, Do you want us to go and pull up the tares? And he said, No. Because if you do, you'll uproot the wheat. Let it remain to the day, that time of harvest, that time of reckoning. Gather them both, put the tares in a bundle to burn them, and gather the wheat into the barn. Now, As you and I give thought to the Lord's explanation of that parable never forget that the tares were among the wheat. The wheat's the church and there are tares among it, so we're talking about something in the church. May I say, it's people who aren't as they ought to be. Individuals who, though they have relation to the church of Christ, they're not as they ought to be and they're going to be bound and burned because, again, they're going to be surprised. That kind of thought's challenging, isn't it? Let's end our lesson like this. There are going to be surprises at the day of judgment. Not because the information hasn't been given to us in the Bible, but because those who have chosen to ignore it. May you and I be wise. May we be devoted to those things of the Word of God so that we won't be surprised and we'll be ready to hear Him say, Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Be thou ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. Matthew 25 verse 21. Today in this audience, perhaps as each of us examine our life and our heart, it's a good time to ask, would I be surprised if that judgment were exactly one hour and thirty minutes from now? If it were exactly ninety minutes from now, Would I be among the group surprised? I thought, sure, I was going to heaven, only to find that I'm not. You see, at the bottom of that slide, may I suggest, there's no reason to be surprised. We know what's coming. May we live wisely, devotedly, with dedication, motivated by love, and so thankful for Jesus, our Savior. If upon analysis of your life, Things are missing, things are lacking, things are amiss. You can make that right. Jesus will empower you to do it. Today, we'd be delighted to assist you in any public response that might be appropriate. If you are a person who's never become a Christian, it's not the invitation that I, that is of me, it's the invitation of the Lord. It is He who said, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. He wants to save you, but you've got to want it in order for Him to do it because you've got to, in fact, let Him know that you believe in Him. You've got to repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. If you have taken care of that and have begun your journey with Him, but perhaps that seemingly was so long ago, you aren't faithful anymore, and you realize in light of our study today, you'd be among the number surprised who thought that all was well. You need to make a change. No one here is going to look down on you if you come down this aisle. In fact, we'll be honored to pray for you. We'll celebrate with you. We will be numbered among those angels who rejoice on your return to faithfulness. If we could help you today in any of these ways, we'd be honored to help you. And do it now while together we stand and while we sing.